Welcome to the Digital Ninjas Podcast. Today, Corinne and I are discussing the people side of ESG's engagement and the operationalization of ESG principles with John Noble. Enjoy the episode. When pursuing ESG, you could come across many organizations and tools like the TCFD, Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or UNPRI, Principles for Responsible Investment Reporting Framework. And if you look at some of the glossaries and knowledge bases, you'll notice they are no short of acronyms. But when it comes to deploying ESG principles into your organization and engaging your teams from leadership to the loading dock, success may be in the acronym ESG itself. When you think of the people side of work, you might think of ESG, environment, social, and governance, and DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So if you put them together, you might have equitable access to inclusive and diverse spaces where I feel I belong. Can these help you realize your digital strategy too? Today, we are here with John Noble to discuss each part in relevant spaces of leadership, organizational strategy, metrics, and some considerations to keep in mind on your digital journey. John holds a postgraduate degree in data science and business analytics, a master's degree in economics. John has served many roles in the technical organizations, focused on a broad range of strategy topics, helping companies achieve results from data and analytics. How are you today, John? I'm doing great. Uh, Thanks, ladies, for having me on the the, uh, podcast today. Let's dive into the topic. One more very important concept to the the acronym, what I like to call the triple bottom line strategy. So what do I mean by that? So as leaders, I think we're often focused on one thing. That's the bottom line, right? But if I told you that by shifting our focus to the impact on the environment, society, and governance, we can not only increase our profits, but we can also become more trustworthy and sustainable in everything that we do. So we're going to cover all of that. Excellent. All right, so let's take the first one. E, I believe environment to be impact on spaces. Green topics, emissions, air, water, and leads, designations from leadership in energy and environment design. But John, what do you think about that? When it comes to the environment, you know, the, the E that you talked about, um, I think the question we've got to ask ourselves is how, do, how are our decisions affecting the world around us. You know, when it comes to the environment, because we have responsibility to minimize our negative impact and maximize the positive things that we're doing on the planet, it includes all the things that you mentioned, but implementing environmentally friendly practices as basic as recycling and or reducing or changing the energy consumption types that we actually use today. It includes reducing carbon footprint. We hear a lot about that through the use of clean energy, efficient transportation. And additionally, companies can also consider the impact of their supply chain. And more importantly, the products that they create have impacts. And all of that gets rolled up into, I think, when you talk about the E, it's a really important and big topic. But by taking the steps consciously to protect the environment, companies can not only improve their reputation, but also contribute to the sustainable future. We all want to be around. We all want to see our kids and their grandchildren and our families and countries develop over time. And so we all have a role to play to that. And companies have a significant role in making sure that happens well. 
What about the environment for inclusivity, lighting options for those that might be visually impaired, the braille in the elevators? Is that part of the environment quotient when it comes to ESG? Absolutely. Broadly speaking, there's two kind of sides to this discussion. There's the the regulators and what the energy companies and companies are thinking in terms of are they producing energy, are they consuming it? But the the E is much broader than that. And you covered a, a really great set of topics, Leah, but it is all of that in terms of how we provide spaces for ourselves. Um, it extends to many of the things you talked about, the office, but also to our homes and the decisions that we're making. So how do we make that accessible to everyone? It's a a very important expansion of the word E. I think, you know, the conversation today can be really narrowly focused on just energy consumption and just carbon output, but it is much broader than that. Excellent. Corinne, you're up. Hey, John, going into the second letter in ESG, that social aspect, or what I like to think of it is like the culture, the community of, say, a company or a firm, as well as including the reputation that they may show to the world through their marketing. What do you think about the social aspect of ESG and and how that includes diversity, uh, equity, inclusion, and belonging? Can you tell us some examples of some of those social metrics and how it can relate to that triple bottom line strategy? Absolutely. I think you guys, you introduced belonging into that equation. The question behind that is, how are we impacting the people in the communities that we serve? The metrics that are common in the marketplace today are split between ethnicity, age, education. Those are all great metrics, but I think the question is, are they really making an impact, right? So let's not confuse motion with progress. Are we really demonstrating the world around us? And I think those metrics, well, good, use the word marketing. And so we're not going to, we'll touch on that briefly. Are we really having the impact and do the communities and businesses that we all represent really reflect society at large? And so there is a risk of having good metrics, but for metrics sake and not really making the changes that we want to see. So I think social responsibility encompasses the company's commitment to things like fair labor, community involvement, charitable endeavors. It's really about ensuring fair treatment and compensation for employees, promoting the diversity, inclusion, belonging, and supporting the communities around us that we all belong to through our philanthropic efforts. You know, I think there's probably another angle on this as well, where companies need to consider the social impact of their products and services. How are they affecting the communities? Are they thinking about vulnerable and marginalized groups? It's one thing to create a great product, but if the great product is at a price point that's not accessible by a particular market, I'm not sure you're serving them well, right? So I think by thinking about how broadening the definition and by taking steps to improve social responsibilities, you know, companies can not only improve their reputation, but also contribute to more just and equitable society that we live in. 
Yeah, wholeheartedly agree with that, John. I mean, thinking of some examples of some companies that have started that progress. And so on the one hand, it's not just the reputation within the company, attracting the people, uh, impacting those communities and such, but the value there is can stretch beyond just, okay, we've got good people and we're heading in the right direction. I mean, it does, I think, gravitate towards the people then that either purchase your products or your financial company, how there's open and fair lending principles to follow. Absolutely. The digital revelation or or revolution has been, uh, has had a tremendous impact on all of us, but not everybody has a phone and therefore doesn't have access to Venmo. And so the whole idea of a cashless society needs to also account for, well, how do you get the devices in the hands of the people that currently, you know, those devices are unaccessible because of the price points. So it's a multi-threaded conversation about how all of this comes together. And if you're really being inclusive and you're really considering those communities, you have to think about how the product gets distributed and consumed. And are there impediments to those communities that otherwise would not allow them access to your products? It's a, it, it requires a much more thoughtful approach to how you build and deploy products for sure. Well, even with diverse employees, is the training for the skill sets you need available? You mentioned about devices. I mean, COVID did an eye-opening job. Did every student have a device to access that class? I believe a spotlight was shown on that accessibility of ESG components, updated pathways to education are also for the employees of tomorrow and the business owners of tomorrow, for the future of these companies that want to make a difference. Absolutely. And I think, you know, accessibility, my own my own story that, that comes close to home is I have aging parents who are losing the ability to interact with digital devices, and yet everything seems to be moving that direction. I think it's been isolating for a lot of communities, particularly the elderly, when everything has had to shift electronically for lots of good reasons. I think there's communities that have felt ignored or isolated because of some of those changes. So obviously those were periods of extreme times, but in that you can also increase the marginability of some of those communities. And I think, you know, we need to consider how to not do that in those situations where, you know, we have times like that. Absolutely. Great question, Corinne. Next, governance. Does governance include decision maps for consequence management and incident response handling? And what sort of things are measured when it comes to governance? So the G question there is, how are we being accountable to our stakeholders? Again, we've just gone through the E, we've gone through the S, and we've talked about how broad those things are. I think stakeholders, again, upstream of the supply chain, downstream of the supply chain, And it's really about understanding the things that you mentioned are, I think, outcomes of understanding materiality and mapping out all of those material effects and understanding what are the downstream consequences of those. So are we making ethical decisions and implementing good corporate governance practices as it relates to the things that are material to the communities and businesses that we serve? So the first step before you actually ever get to the criteria or the matrix is you need to understand your materiality. So that's kind of step one. 
for a company leadership and operations? Are they conducted in an open and transparent and responsible way, right? Proactively. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Best practices are defining those materiality assets up front. And look, we're only as good as we are at a certain point of time. They're going to change. And as we get more information, we have to continually reevaluate those materiality concepts with respect to the overall governance of how we act and how we're good corporate citizens. So it's not a once and done exercise. It's completely evolving as things evolve around us to make us better. Having an independent board is hugely important, right? So the diversity in thought, the diversity in representation, we talked about where those things show up. Making sure that diversity is actually coming through the independent governance of some of these organizations allows us to really inspect and be honest about those materiality issues that we need to be aware of and how their effects are carrying through, again, upstream and downstream of our products and services that we offer. So independence is important. You know, throughout the work that we do at OBV, we talk about strong internal controls as it relates to data. Strong controls can apply to anything. And so having an inventory of them, being disciplined about documentation of those things are really all about taking steps to improve governance, not only improve the reputation, but also to build trust with stakeholders. And I think when companies talk about governance, you see the stories play out. It really comes down to have we been accountable to our stakeholders and do they trust us? And I think companies and organizations all owe it to their constituents to make sure that they're doing a really good job at making sure they're transparent and that those things are well understood. For me, what jumps out when we talk about governance and ESG are two things. It's what is the government regulating and what are those guidelines that are coming from the SEC in data? It's that monitoring controlling aspect to all of those ESG initiatives that that you now put in place. Okay, you said these social environmental things are important. How are you then governing those within your own company to ensure that you're doing them properly? That's a great distinction. And let's unpack a little bit about what you said. The SEC has taken a very specific view of one of the components, the E, and are looking at and have defined very specific measures around scope one, two, and three emissions and how those get reported. So today, Leah mentioned a great list of inclusive global standards written by non-government organizations. So there are guidelines to follow, but there's no how you actually measure them. And so what the SEC is proposing to do is regulate by defining very specifically the definition of what energy do you produce down to the units, the amount of carbon emissions and or things like waste that you generate down to the unit, and what are the cumulative effects of what we call scope three, which could include things like employee travel. So, you know, I was on an airplane this week from Dallas to New York, and in taking that flight, the plane admitted emissions. And so there is discussion about standardizing the collection of all of those types of things that would fall under the E. And effectively, the SEC will treat it like any other accounting data. It's going to have to follow, do you know what the system of record is? You have controls in place around the quantity and quality of the data. 
And importantly, do you have metrics to tell you when things are not aligned to what otherwise should be a normal metric? And then do you have a playbook for how you respond in terms of a metric doesn't look the way it's proposed? So the, the regulators are active in this space. They are defining a very narrow set of measures around the environmental piece. Yet to see what will come from the S and the G components in that equation. Are there any other techniques or best approaches, ways to expand or promote ESG? The date around ESG has tended to be outside of what we would call the normal data supply chains or an afterthought. And our suggestion would be you need to start taking the E, S, and G data. They are important components to an overall data strategy. They are assets that need to be cared for. And so, you know, through the tools and techniques that we have today around how to apply uh, data governance best practices, it needs to be expanded now to include E, S, and G data types. From a reporting standpoint, I love that. So much easier to get if you have a flag on it. <laughs> Just to Absolutely. There. Common definitions. What's good, what's not good. You know, and those are not always obvious answers in most large organizations, right, who uh, today have lots of data. This is just another data type that is increasingly becoming important both internally, right, so how you run your company, how you report out on those things that are impacting our communities. And then lastly, from a governance perspective, you want to be able to trust the metrics that are there. And if you can't apply the same standards for this data that you apply to your operational and or accounting data, then I'm not sure you've completed the step full circle. So we think it's important to include that data in an overall data strategy and, and just good solid data governance practice. So it's not just your internal auditor that might be asking within the department, between your departments, but now it's what are you getting stuff from? And then who are you packaging your world, data-wise, and giving it to because now that person may call? For sure. And most of this data that we're actually talking about lives in you know traditional systems of record like HR systems. A lot of the data that doesn't exist in A, in a single place, or B, in a standardized format that allows it to be easily aggregated and reported. This goes back to the strategy, what's the inventory, how do you know that what you have is good and complete? And that requires you to understand both the types of data that need to be collected the measurement of that information, and is it in fact answering the question that it was designed to do? So it's not just about coming up with a metric. It's about understanding the full effect of that data as it's intended to be used. The metric is just a way for us to, for you and I to have a conversation and understand it on a common definition. Fantastic. We all live in one world. We do. And, yep. And that commonality and the better that companies Im implement this and can report on it, the better that we can assess apples to apples. And the output and the, and the effects on, again, our communities, our groups in society, that it actually is going to have a difference, right? It's a measurable difference. And I think, you know, the standardization of all of that, the collection of all of that are steps towards saying, okay, now that we have that, have we actually made a difference, right? This is all about making a difference. And you can't do that if none of it's consistent and you don't know what the source of any of your information is. So have we had the intended effect of our action? And all gets wrapped up into what we've discovered today.
Thank you, John. This has been an awesome conversation. Where can our listeners find you on the socials? I'm on LinkedIn, so it's John D. Noble on LinkedIn.com. All right, podcast listeners, let us know what you think. And to submit a question for future episodes, get in touch at OpeningBellVentures.com or email us directly here at DigitalNinjas at OpeningBellVentures.com. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to this podcast, repost and like this episode. As always, we appreciate you every day of the week. See you on the next episode. Okay, bye. Bye.